Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by listeners like you. Learn how you can support the show and access exclusive podcast episodes, a book club, and more by visiting patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner. Yes, my perspective is a great word. I can tell you that my, my once this is uh, the nation or the world calms itself, uh, heals itself, and we get back out into the world again, uh, my gratitude level is going to shoot up to the moon and back <laughs> because there were a lot of things I, I didn't value as much as I do now. So it's been humbling. And now let's talk hope. Let's talk about a book that came about from a rejection. Let's talk about silver linings and futures and unexpected outcomes. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 599. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Charles Waters. Charles and co-author Irene Latham were last on this podcast two years ago to share Can I Touch Your Hair? Poems of Race, Mistakes, and Friendships. This new book together is called Dictionary for a Better World, Poems, Quotes, and Anecdotes from A to Z beautifully illustrated cover to cover by Mirdo Amini. The layout of this book is stunning, beginning with a poem addressing a culturally responsive topic, explaining the poetic form, expanding on the poem with an anecdote, and then inviting readers to take one small action or do one small activity relating to the topic. It's a powerhouse of a book, and I think this interview will speak for itself in that regard. Plus, Hearing Charles recite poems is one of my favorite things ever. Please welcome my guest, Charles Waters, co-author of Dictionary for a Better World, poems, quotes, and anecdotes from A to Z. My name is Charles Waters. My pronouns are he and him. I am a children's book author, uh, I'm an actor, and I also do workshops teaching children's poetry writing and poetry performance to students and teachers all over the country from kindergarten to college. <laughs> I love it. And you know what else? Yeah. When, when around you, when in front of the great Charles Waters... Um, you get to hear poetry read aloud. And I was so floored that I happened to be on the exhibit floor when you and Irene at NCTE shared this book and shared these poems. And to hear two poets read their poems to us was such a beautiful thing. So thank you for all that you and Irene brought to making this beautiful, beautiful book. It is, it is our pleasure. We're so happy it's being received in the way that we created it with a lot of heart and a lot of hope. Yeah. So, Can I Touch Your Hair was when we first talked, a book that I have shared with so many students. Um, such a powerful book with sort of partner poems, tandem poems about race, about two different students. And now um, the new book that brings us together is Dictionary for a Better World, Poems, Quotes, and Anecdotes from A to Z. Charles, can you tell me about this book? 
I sure can. So Dictionary for a Better World came about actually through a rejection. So let this be a, a good reminder not only to adults but to students that when one door opens, there could be a, another one around the corner, and that was the door you were meant to go through. Carol Hins, the editorial director of Carol Rota Books, an imprint of Learner Publishing Group, rejected a poetry proposal Irene and I had. She said that please submit other ideas that you may have for books because herself and Lerner wanted to work with both of us again. So Irene and I, it was one of the few times this happened, we were actually together. Irene lives in Alabama. I live in New York. Irene and I were doing an author visit in Michigan. And it was actually a snow day. It was our final day there. It was a Friday. It was a snow day. And we both had respective flights back to our homes. So we got this email in a Panera Bread in Michigan while waiting for our flights. And after we read the rejection email from Carol, with the proviso that they still wanted to work with us on something, Irene got out her notebook and we both started giving ideas to each other about different books. And I am happy to say that one of them was Dictionary for a Better World. So the book is 50 poems and 46 different poetry forms. Irene and I split everything 50-50. I wrote 23 poems. She wrote 23 poems. Four poems we wrote together. They go from A to Z with words like ally and hope and shiro and zest. So we span the alphabet. Now with each poem, Matthew, there is the poem. And on the left side of the page will be the poem. The bottom of the left page will have what form it's written in and the definition of that word. On the top right of the page is a quote about that word usually by a writer or somebody who's been involved with the book business. Below that is an anecdote about that word and how it corresponds with Irene or myself in our lives, past and present. And at the bottom of the right page is something called a triad, which is an action step for the reader to take. Each poem is illustrated by someone who I have come to admire so much for her work and her kind nature. Her name is Mirdot Amini. She is a British Iranian children's book illustrator who lives in Surrey, England, which is outside of London. The books that she's illustrated have mostly been about Muslim culture. My favorite of those is called Golden Domes and Silver Lanterns, yes. a Muslim book. Of <laughs> Hannah Khan, it's, a local Hannah friend Han, of mine. I, yes. <laughs> oh, really? See, I think that that just makes me so happy. Both that you, of those you, books are you know gorgeous. Her. Oh, yeah. oh, I know Hannah. Oh, yeah. Oh, those. And, and that book especially has so much heart. It, it, and I think... In this day and age, one of the most misunderstood uh, faiths is the Muslim faith. And what this does is, is just show it in all its, its beauty and splendor. So I'm a, I, I became a big fan of Mirdo uh, when Carol told us she was going to illustrate the book, and I immediately went to the New York Public Library and got every book by Mirdo that I could. And I remember texting Irene, and I just said, one word, jackpot. <laughs> <laughs> we're, in good, we're in good hands. So, so Mirdo illustrated this book, and, and it's, I'm just, I think she's going to be working from now until the end of time on different 
different books because once everybody sees the work she's done on this and her other books, I think she's going to be one busy human. Oh, I mean, the so versatility I, she showed in this book alone. Oh. You're, you're illustrating 50 different poems, 50 different spreads, and she goes from mm-hmm. collage to painting to sort of photorealism. She does so many to humor. She does so many different things. It's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. What an artist. So I, I'm, I've never met Mirdote, but I sing her praises every chance I get. Because as an author, I make sure in my author presentations and just when I'm talking to people to always give the illustrator love. Because I do think children's book illustrators, as well as educators, particularly librarians, are magical people. So anyone you meet that has magic in them, you need to promote them to the skies and back. Mm. <laughs> so, yes. I love that's that. My, that's, that's my opinion. So that's what Dictionary for a Better World is all about. We have uh, an author's note in the back of the book, as well as extensive back matter about books that talk about some of the themes of Dictionary for a Better World, so the readers can take it one step further after hopefully reading our book. And Irene and I are upfront that just because we co-wrote a book called Dictionary for a Better World, poems, quotes, and anecdotes from A to Z that we are not perfect people. We are hardworking, deeply flawed humans trying to do the best we can uh, in the time that we're living in, moment to moment. So we were just thankful enough that Lerner gave us an opportunity to write down the world we'd like to see. And we're so thankful to Mirdote for giving our words such such dignity and such humor so that's what the that's the long-winded answer of books about Matthew. <laughs> well we are going to dive in because i would love to know what it looked like to come up with the different poetic forms and come up with the different topics and all of these different things but why don't we take a moment just to share some poetry i'm going to give you a second to, okay. to, to choose what you want to share do you mind if i share gratitude Absolutely. I would, I would love do. to do that. And I, why don't I read the entire page? That way folks get a sense of, of all of the different elements that you were mentioning were on the page. Gratitude reads, When lightning splits the oak, it is you, gratitude, who helps us appreciate the years oak shaded our summers. When the answer is no instead of yes, oh, gratitude, it is you who says, this is how we learn. When our carefully laid plans fail to bear fruit, it is you, gentle teacher, who shows us there are many ways to live a life. The form is Ode, which is described as a poem of praise. Your quote is from a Maori proverb that reads, Turn your face toward the sun, and the shadows fall behind you. Irene says, One summer my parents left me for two weeks at my grandparents' house in Port St. Joe, Florida. I adored my grandparents, but two weeks is a long time. I got really homesick. What helped me through it was Grandma Dykes' cornbread and daily trips to the library. These two things were the beginnings of a gratitude list, though I didn't know to call it that at the time. These days, instead of wallowing whenever I feel sorry for myself, I make a gratitude list right away. Just a simple list of all the things I'm grateful for right now, this moment. It helps me remember that I'm not alone and that things aren't as bad as they seem. Try it. Make a gratitude list of your own. I <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I actually had a friend, we were talking... Um, out of the conversation, outside of the recording about what it feels like to go through quarantine. And, um, I confess to you, Charles, that I've, I've had moments where I've struggled more than normal, whatever normal may be, that it just maybe is, it takes more effort for me to get my brain back on track. I'm really feeling some deep feelings for a deep, long time. But this poem 
reminds me, and I shared this poem with my with my students at our at our read aloud times. This poem reminds me that um, in another particular struggle, a friend of mine reached out to me over social media and said, "You know, I do this five minute journal every day." And he said, "Let me let me send you a five minute journal, which, as it turns out, is a gratitude journal where you just write mm. five things." that you're grateful for? What are you thinking about? What are you still have a question in your head? And what I found is, as Irene mentioned in her Irene Says section, it's a chance to just get things out of your head and in front of your eyes. And that practice helps. I don't always remember to go to do it, but I can reflect with you now on how that that's a piece of wisdom that helps. And your book happens to be full of all sorts of why don't you just try this? Or here's here's a testament from my own life. And I love that in that way, you and Irene have given so much of yourselves uh, in this book. Well, I am so I am so glad that um, you like that poem. I I always promote Irene's uh, work when when I do solo school visits and. Um, there's no better word right now, like I said earlier, than uh, gratitude. Uh, we're, we're living in an, an age where uh, one of the ways we can keep ourselves on level ground is to express gratitude um, physically and, and, and mentally. Uh, it could be everything from doing yoga to, if you can, taking a walk to giving, giving a book to somebody. Uh, so I, I, I love, uh, I love the word gratitude. It's taken on a deeper meaning for me in these times. And, and I love, uh, Irene's poem and her quote and her anecdote and her triumph. And I actually saw a picture once of her, her grandmother. Oh, uh, her grandmother, because Irene has, had told that story before in a, a blog post. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, she was super homesick. And one thing that her grandmother also did was take her to the library. And that helped tremendously mm. because Irene is always a big reader. So, she said, "What am I going to do with this homesick child?" And took her to the library, and that, that, and that helped, and that helped tremendously because books are—I know it's a, a perhaps a cliche thing to say—but uh, books are our friends. You know, books don't let you, the right book will never let you down. And that's why I tell students uh, that when they go to the library, particularly the uh, 811 section, the poetry section, that uh, books are your friends. They won't let you down and they'll help you out during tough times and they they don't judge you. So, um, yeah, there you go. I don't Gratitude. think I realized as a, as a child the comfort that a book can provide, the way that now I understand it. We are all here at home, but we can turn to books for company. Visit MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop in order to support independent bookstores while supporting your favorite bookmakers and kidlit podcasters. Same books, same great prices, but this time your dollars make a difference for someone or some indie bookstore trying to make a difference. Go to MatthewCWinner.com and click on Shop to choose your next great read. doing these um, nightly story times with our school community so everyone pre-k to, to grade four um, can join us and, and lots of families do and we read a lot of books um, sometimes there's other faculty that join me but I find that there's there's books that are able to phrase things in a way that is um, reliable comforting it, it feels good to come back to and it also helps to process things in a way that 
I didn't have those words before, and you're helping me find those words. So you're right. What a friend, what a gift books can be, language, writing can be. Charles, I'd love to ask you to, to share a poem with us, if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. One of the, the poem that seems to get a great response from, from students, but especially our editor, Carol. This may be one of Carol's favorite poems of the book. Carol hens it at Lerner is the poem yes so here's how it goes I'm doctor affirmative first name Y to the E to the S yes nickname amen I'm the letters cheering you on pushing you forward reserving no judgment all I ask in return is your best effort my friendly competition is named no, also known as Dr. I don't think so. No has good points every now and again because it can spur you on to get to my word, the greatest in all humanity. If you aim to do well, not harm anyone, and accomplish your goals of being a dynamite, out of sight, a quality is right kind of human, I'm the word you need to help you succeed. Okay, you dig? Show enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I love it. Yes. 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 <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I don't even know. That's so good. <laughs> Please. Sorry, I didn't interrupt. <laughs> uh, oh, that's, that's all good. That is a poetry form called a persona, which is written in the voice of the poem's subject. The quote for this word is from E.E. E. Cummings, an excerpt from the poem Love is a Place. And the quote goes like this. Yes is a world, and in this world of yes live skillfully curled all worlds. So yes is, is everywhere. You just, you just have to go go look for it. The anecdote is... After my first theatrical performance in college, a friend told me, I didn't think you were that good. <laughs> the comic, you know, that uh, sidebar, true story. I mean, I, I remember it like, a, you know, I'm not, we're not lying in this book at all, but just saying that brought it right back to me. And this is, this is going on 27 years ago. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so sorry. And, and, and I still remember it. You see, <laughs> that's why I said I'm not lying. Cause it just, the memory just hit me again, like a thunderbolt. So anyway, uh, all the things in this poem, uh, in this book are true, but that one really resonated. Uh, this is a deeply personal book, as you can tell for Irene and myself. So the comment could have led me to decide I wasn't cut out for acting. Instead, I realized that yes, Acting was something I wanted to pursue, and I was going to make it happen. If I had listened to all the no's in my life, I wouldn't have become a published author, been part of theatrical tours throughout the country, acted at Walt Disney World, or moved to New York to pursue other opportunities. While that negativity from my friend hurt at the moment, I ultimately ignored it and kept going. Being an actor has been one of the most exhilarating, agonizing and humbling things I've ever done. And I don't know where I'd be without it. All because I said, yes. The try it is the next time you're offered an opportunity, even especially if it's out of your comfort zone, say yes. So there, there you is. go. All right. There it is. So you've got, as you as you previewed with us in the beginning, all these different topics about um, courage and reaching and questions and belonging and empathy and forgiveness. Did these? I know you 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 said that you and Irene share the the number of poems you've written evenly. Did you first come up with? Uh, a list of topics and sort of divide and conquer did the poetic forms come first how did this how did this take shape that is a good question it all came pretty organically we did do the the words first 
And then we went to poetry forms. And there were a great number of poems and forms that we wrote that got cut by Carol. Or Carol said, instead of writing a poem in this form about this subject, why don't you write about a different one? So that happened uh, quite a bit. So it was the words, it was the forms. And while we were doing that, we were just kind of collecting quotes. Okay. And I just want to give a special shout out to Google Docs. Because Google Shout Docs. out to Google Docs. <laughs> Google, because Google Docs were so helpful <laughs> in terms of creating as many as we needed. Yeah. And then we could always just refer to it and we could do it together. Because Google Docs, it's just you can invite as many people or the least amount of people as you want. So each morning it was lovely to wake up to a, an Irene Latham poem or find a that Irene had found and so forth and so on and we went back and forth with with different quotes uh, there is uh, a teacher named uh, off the top of my head now the top of my head it just escaped me uh, his name is it'll come to me because now I actually have to look in the book this is what happens uh, his name is Robert Get it. Let me get the gratitude list because he's actually Robert Lee Brewer. Okay, Robert Lee Brewer is a teacher, and he does a lot of work on forms. He has a blog that has, I can't begin to tell you how many forms. And Irene and I would just look at those forms and go, "What do you think?" And we would go back and forth, and that's how we got a lot of the forms, as well as reading the book A Kick in the Head. Edited by oh, the yeah. late Paul Janesco. Sure. Which uh, was the book, actually, that got me into form, different forms when I started writing poetry in the first place. That book, I believe the book came out in 2005. And I remember being knocked over by the possibilities of poetry. Because mm. I just thought poetry at the time was rhyming and free verse and maybe a haiku and it's like no 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 so we relied on those those two those two deals paul's book and robert lee brewer's blog in order to find a lot of our poetry forms and there were ones that we we wanted to try anyway irene always wanted to try writing a, a villanelle and I was fascinated by some of the different forms, or at least to try them myself. So we what's, were able to. Charles, to do what's that. a villanelle? A villanelle is. Let me see. Page 74. It. I just peeked at it. 74? Okay, great. So a villanelle is a 19 line poem with two rhymes throughout. Consisting of five tercets and a quatrain, with the first and third lines of the opening tercet recurring alternately at the end of the other tercets, and with both repeated at the close of the concluding quatrain. So, to your to your listeners and especially your students, William Shakespeare. Um, I was thinking of a sonnet. So villanelles were one of the most famous villanelles is called "Do Not Go Gentle in That Good Night." by Dylan Thomas. So that's how I first learned what a villanelle was. And I can tell you right now, I'm glad Irene wanted to write it because I wanted no part of it. I thought it was too no. difficult. <laughs> I said, you have that. Well, you poetic, have your villanelle. Poetic forms are so interesting in, in that we do have these different forms that have existed that, that poets um, take turns writing in different forms. I, one of the practices I do as I write a, a poem a day is that I will, just to help shake up my head, challenge myself to write today's poem in this form. Let me just try what it feels like to operate under a different set of rules, if you will. But to later discover that, oh, these these rules are made up by poets that 
there are some people that make up these these things. I, I remember reading um, what is um, that beautiful book about the Harlem Renaissance that Nikki Grimes has that uses the golden oh, shovel. Oh, sure, the golden shovel. That's right. So there's 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 things like that where it's oh there's there's people creating their own forms of as they've experimented with words uh with words one last word i think is what the book is called one last word that's correct but yes. but but to come across as you're saying these different poetic styles and and to have irene or you feel like i want to try that or or even to find this this is the content that will really drive this form. Your poem about justice using the form of a chant it comes to mind immediately. That's one that I've shared with, with children a lot because it just invites all of us to, to share together. And that's really neat. Well, the chant was, when thinking about it in my life, I always, I guess, I knew what it, I didn't know what a chant was, but I had, I had heard it. You hear chants during everything from protests to to church services uh, to concerts. So the chant was something that, for justice, this was a now. This is how this worked, Matthew. It was there was one other thing, maybe it was on Robert Lee Brewer's list or something, but I know that when I saw Chance, I, I immediately thought of justice because I was thinking of people that protest. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, I was thinking of people that protest and even in peaceful protests, there are lots of call and response. So that occurred to me. And that just, I thought that was a good marriage between the form and the word. So that's how, that's how it came to be. It was a very organic process. And Irene and I had to dig deep, just like we did with Can I Touch Your Hair, about certain things that we hadn't thought about in many years, or certain instances that we were nervous about sharing with readers. Hmm. And uh, these in order to think to be as transparent as possible, sometimes you have to, to dig deep. And that's what, that's what we did for uh, a fair number of these poems. And I can tell you during the writing of it, I felt like I was barely keeping my head above water because <laughs> it's such an epic project it's to huge. write, to create. It's huge. And it was, and I'm going, Boy, I am not measuring up. And then Irene just happened to say, this is the hardest book I've ever tried. And Matthew, I can't tell you the weight that was lifted off my shoulders when she said that. Really? Yeah, because I felt the same way. It was only my second book, but I thought, I mean, it's not just me. This is hard. Is this hard? You know, I was almost talking to myself. Is this hard? This is really hard. And Alan Wolf, the great Alan Wolf, told me, he said, Charles, your second book will, will be tougher than your first. So just be prepared for that. He was absolutely right. Mm. That sophomore so, release. It's harder. This, yeah, it's harder. It's harder. And, and he was right. So I, I came into it prepared, but I wasn't expecting how difficult it was. Because well, so, mm. so many poems are being thrown away and so sure. forth. So, sorry. So, well, yeah. You've got stuff being thrown away. You've also got really challenging things to write about or to not make light about or to try to be as representative as you can on. I think about how in some cases having this format that you have gives you opportunity to be challenged and comforted at the same time, right? Because you get to speak your truth in those anecdotes. You get to invite other people's in other people in with that try it. You get to look to what inspires you through these quotes, challenging yourself through these different poetic forms, and then writing the poems themselves. Any one of those things can be challenging. But as I read it, I hope that like for your reader, any one of those things can be the thing that connects them with this book. I hope also that any one of those things might have been where... 
helping to, to continue reconnecting you, pulling you back in. There's a particular poem that I shared the very, very first week, maybe even the very first story time with my students that, that Tuesday evening when we first did it. And it's a poem that you wrote. It's called Courage. And this poem is, mm-hmm. is a synquain. It's just five lines, very short. It reads, Sometimes courage can be getting up to face life's stormy world when you'd rather hide in bed. And I, I, um, I think that that's beautiful, Charles. I come back to it over and over and over. I see poems in this book connecting to so many other things. There's this beautiful new picture book um, that came out by um, Mahogany L. Brown. It's called Woke. Oh, I heard about Young Poet's Guide to Justice Woke. It's illustrated by um, by, uh, Theodore Taylor III. It it also has poems by um, Olivia Gatwood and uh, Elizabeth Acevedo. And similarly to yours, it it goes through and, and challenges and talks about tough stuff. And in my lessons with my fourth graders, I paired a poem from their book um, about intersectionality with a poem in your book about being an ally, where you provide this wonderful list, this recipe for how we can be allies to one another, knowing that it takes a lot of things. It takes, I'm looking at it, it takes understanding and fortitude and support and it's got to marinate together. It can't just be throw it all in and then we have allyship. Um, there's a lot of work you both did in here. And uh, not to make light of it being hard, but I see on the page how hard you worked. And I, I think that I think that, that is what I'm seeing in the book's that I'm most connecting with now during this time of stay at home or during this time when I think I'm blessed to be with a, a, a cadre of educators who are working hard on anti-biased, anti-racist educational practices, because this is the time we need to be doing it now more than ever. And it's not easy work, but to be able to come up for air and hear someone else say, this is the hardest work of my life <laughs> is, yes. um, is, is somehow life giving. I don't know. Sure. Sure. Because it, it, nothing, few things come easy. Right. Everything. You know, few, few people are blessed with talent. So natural that everything is easy. When I do author visits, I say Stephen Curry of the Golden State Warriors doesn't take one jump shot a day and it's finished. He has to work at it. And he had, he had, I'm sure, his father was an, an all-star NBA player. He, and uh, he had, he had talent but he refined it through persistent and consistent work. And you can replace Steph Curry's name with, with anyone. And you can be, it could be a teacher. It could be a, a lawyer. It could be, it could be anyone. You know, you have to, you have to put in the work. I tell the students that there's no shortcut to this. You, you have to put in the work. And even then, it may, you may not be the success you may have thought in your head. So whatever you are going to be in your life, whatever profession you choose, make sure it's something you love. Yeah. Please, please be in it for the right reasons because the journey is not going to be easy, but it will be worth it if you don't quit. It could take 20 years. It could take 30 years. You have to play the long game. Or it could take a year. You, you, you never know. So uh, putting in, when I hear, what, what, what helps me a lot, Matthew, is when there's people that I admire, and I could be watching them on television or people that I, I know uh, in real life, who tell me the amount of revision that went into something or the amount of, of time that went into something that they, that they did. And I just, I go, okay, you know, good to know. 
I'm not in it alone. So that's the, that's the process. And that's mm-hmm. the process for me with, with every book, with every poem that I learn by heart that, that if you go to my YouTube channel, there's over 140 poems that I perform, including half of, can I touch your hair? My poems and can I touch your, and my poems from dictionary. And that took a, with, with others throughout the years. And that's been adding to that library. Uh, I start, I learned, I think my first poem by heart in 2005. So that's 15 years of work put into the 140 poems. And that's just the ones I learned by heart. That's not counting all the ones that I, I, I've written and rewritten and didn't, didn't perform. So you just, you just add a little each day in your life to whatever you, you choose to be. Use slow and steady progress. John Grisham, the author, once said, you know, if you write a page a day of something, a book, if you write a page a day for a year, you'll have 365 pages of something. That's no small feat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and w- whether it's good or not, that, that's almost irrelevant. The fact that is you went from point A to point B on something. So I think of those incremental steps a lot, Matthew, especially with the book Irene and I are working on right now. Uh, which is called African Town, and it's about the last transatlantic slave trade in our nation's history. When in uh, 1860, 110 Africans were kidnapped and brought to America on a bet, on a bet, by a shipping magnate named Timothy Mayer, and they got kidnapped. They Went to, they went from Africa to Mobile, Alabama, and other and and some of them were farmed out to different places. But they went to Alabama, and some of them, after after the Civil War, after the Emancipation Proclamation, they went to the owner of their owner, the person who brought them to this country, and asked for reparations. And he wasn't going to give them anything. So they worked, Matthew. They they worked on little tiny salaries. They worked and created their own town in Mobile, practicing their African customs. They purchased land from the person who brought them to America. And Africa Town is still around today. Wow. And it says, Irene and I have written, we're still writing it, a historical fiction novel in verse. And all I can say is, if I thought Can I Touch Your Hair was hard, <laughs> if I thought Dictionary was hard, <laughs> African Town is taking it to another level. <laughs> I, I'll give it to myself and Irene. We're not shy about swinging for the fences. Whether we hit the ball or not is <laughs> another story. But uh, That's cool. Uh, yeah, so it's a and that one is just like, can I touch your hair in dictionary each day? It's like I don't know if I'm measuring up. I'm doing my best here, but steadily we see the manuscript take shape, and steadily we know that we're making progress. And that's all you can do is just make progress a little each day. Yeah. So there you go. Well, there's there's a final poem. I'd actually, um, if you don't mind, I'd love to read to you because it's become a poem that's become really special for me. I share it often now. Um, Before we close our time together, it's a poem called Release. And I think it ties into a lot of what you and I were talking about, holding on to things, letting go of things, trying to love ourselves and love the things we let go, right? Your poem goes... Our time together extinguished. It's a flame. Er, Let me try that again. Our time together extinguished. It's flame and apparition. At last, I release you with love. Goodbye. I am grateful, Charles, for 
for the work you and Irene put in to make these poems just so, and to make your anecdotes just so, and these quotes just so, because in the time I've spent with them, it it's opened up even more uh, to spend time with poetry, to spend time with this book, to spend time with children with poetry has been a really beautiful gift. And that's something that you are giving to the world. And I'm grateful that you and Irene are using those gifts to share them with all of us, to share them with children, to share them with people who work with children, just to share them with the world. Thank you for that. You are so welcome. And thank you for all that you and, and, and the educators and librarians and administrators do uh, of bringing books to students. And thanks to all the, the booksellers for the work they do to bring books to their readers. And Irene and I, because I can speak for her on this, we're so grateful that we have a platform to share our work with, with readers. We are so thankful to particularly our publisher, Learner, hashtag proud to be a learner. And we're thankful to, for, to Carol Hens, whose idea it was for Can I Touch Your Hair? And if it wasn't for that book, Irene and I wouldn't have been writing together. And we're so happy to continue it with Dictionary for a Better World and Africa Town and, and some other projects that I can't talk about right now. But I'll be more than happy to when the time is right. So I'm 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 grateful to many people and and especially to Carol. She's a she's a real you talk about an ally, Matthew. Carol Hins at Learner is a, a true ally for for authors and illustrators. Particularly authors and illustrators of color. And I've always said that you know, it's, it, in order for representation to be applied, you need people in, in positions of influence to open the door. And if you open the door, chances are uh, the, the ones who, who aren't featured as much as, as they should be will come flying through that door. And, and Carol is, is certainly... Uh, done that, so I, I raise a, I raise a, 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 a glass of uh, my favorite juice is orange juice. I raise a glass of orange <laughs> juice to, to Carol for for giving me the opportunity, Matthew. Because if it wasn't for Carol, uh, I wouldn't have been published. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. So, cheers to Carol and cheers to my poetic forever friend Irene Latham. Who, whose friendship means a great deal to me and who believes in me and I, I believe in, in her and I believe in, in her family as well. Her kids call me Uncle Charles. <laughs> well, on that note, let's go to another group of kids. Charles, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? I would like to tell them that as weird as it may sound, or as corny as it may sound, each of them matter. Their opinions matter. Their thoughts matter. I believe in them. I encourage them. I hope they seek out people in their lives who believe in them as much as I do, who think they, they contain multitudes of potential. And I'd like them to know that it's okay and, and human to make mistakes. Uh, what, what's not so cool is to make mistakes and not realize you're making them and strive to do better. So I encourage them to make good choices, know they're going to mess up, but try to rectify their mess ups with humbleness and gratitude and 
continue taking the world by storm because there is a lot of people, you may not see it now, but there are a lot of people that care about them and, and believe in them and that when in doubt, always turn to books because books will never let you down. And that's a 100% guarantee. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.